Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast where fascinating people meet. I'm your host, your groove mistress, your spiritual advisor and cruise director, Madam Perry. But you can call me Jan, Jennifer, JP, Perry. That's all good. I'm just happy to be here and happy that you are as well. I want to start by saying thanks to all the people who have been subscribing to the show on different podcast apps. I really do appreciate it. And for some um, people who have left nice uh, reviews or reviews telling me what you do like and what you want, uh, what kind of things you like to hear more of, I appreciate that. I always want to know what you want and who you want on the show. Um, you know, recently, um, let me see, well, actually a couple few months back, Dave Koz, the, the Grammy award-winning saxophone player was on the show and of course he's still out playing on he's got this tour that seems to be going on forever and it seems like every time he's in a major city then my stats especially on spotify my stats for uh, the dave cause episode <laughs> just start going wild again and uh, but he is if people who listen to the show know he is just such a nice man he's as nice as he is talented so uh, go see him if you can also i recently saw uh Bruce Sudano. Now, Bruce has been on the show a few times. I saw him, my husband and I saw him last Thursday in Atlanta. Uh, he was opening for the Zombies. They have the same manager. And uh, he's going to be also doing a, a solo tour, too. But catch Bruce Sudano. The man's work is just superb. And you probably know... A lot of the songs he wrote with an early band called Live and Kicking or Brooklyn Dreams or songs he wrote with uh, a woman he met who was, they were both signed by Casablanca and they were song, writing songs together and, um, and they got married, were married for gosh, 32 years, I think. And, um, and he even did acoustically one of the first songs he wrote for her which was bad girls and yeah i'm talking about donna summer so yeah check out bruce he's going to be like i said he's on uh he's uh zombies and but he's also doing some solo gigs too in between and also we had daphne mitchell uh daphne is an actor and writer in los angeles but she uh she was in a movie that's very popular, a series rather, called 13 Reasons Why. And I think that got a lot of uh, a lot of people very confused and very upset with it when it first came out. Uh, at, least in the, at least my school teacher friends tell me that. Um, she's also done a lot of other shows, too. But check out Daphne Mitchell, too. She's not only a great actor, she's quite a class actor herself. So... Uh, we got a lot of stuff that's been happening, things going on, other things coming up soon. One of our favorite people, uh, Deanna Vellarose, and she's a writer and a musician, 
and podcaster and just uh, an activist. She's going to be back on next week and lots of other cool folks coming soon. At least I know my producer, Megan, has told me that. Uh, So what have we got tonight? You're going to absolutely love. This guy's got so many fans and such a big following. So if you don't know him, you're going to be thrilled to join the ranks. Uh, he's got such, <laughs> going to say, such a broad palette of talents and interests. Uh, he's a musician, historian, writer, poet, playwright. He's from the West Coast, and uh, he did actually, he was actually in a very popular band um, from. Uh, I think from Washington for years and years, so he's quite well known in in the business. But you also know him; he's written loads of books. Uh, he's also a book publisher, and he's got an extremely popular show on LA Talk Radio. But why should I say this when the man can come in and tell you better himself? So I am thrilled to welcome for the first time to Madame Perry Salon, Jim Christina. Jim, welcome. Hi, Jim. Hi there. So happy to have you here. How you feeling? I, I, my. Okay. I don't know if you can hear me because I can't hear you right now. And we were doing just fine before we started. Okay, so I can't hear Jim. Okay, there you are. All right, I can't hear Jim, but I got a feeling he's there. So while I try to uh, turn some knobs and make sure I get a hold of him here, because this is a show I've been waiting on for a long time, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go ahead and play "Bad Girls" by Bruce Sedano, and then we'll be back. You say I'm out on the street at night Picking up all kinds of strangers Price is right You can't score if your pocket's tight You want a good time You ask yourself Who they are Like anybody else they come from near and far Bad girls Talking about the sad girls Sad, 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 sad girls Talking about the bad girls Now it's Friday night And the strip is hot Sun gone down And they're out to try Your tired legs look hot. Do you want to get down? You ask yourself who they are. Like everybody else, they want to be a star. Bad girls talking about the sad girls. Sad, sad girls 
talking about the bad girl. All right, that was a little Brianna Bad Girls, and we're going to have, I know that Jim had just uh, called back in or tried to call back in, so let's give him a couple of minutes, and uh, we should bring him in. You don't want to miss Jim Christina. Now, what else? Oh, I'm going to have some things to give away soon, and one is um, a shirt, a beautiful cotton, cozy cotton shirt from Daisy Bella. So, um, yeah, that's, I'm going to talk about that later. I'll put a picture on Instagram that you can uh, just call in or subscribe to win. And let's see, what else have we got? Um, did we mention who else is coming very, very soon? Uh, Jackie Jones Hunt. Uh, actually, she's Dr. Jones Hunt. She's a psychologist. But she's also studied a lot about animals and the Bible as well. Uh, Specifically, she has a book about Jesus and Moses um, as shamans. But Jackie Jones Hunt is going to be here on the 25th. And let's see. Yeah, she'll be there. So hold on. And let me get you back into something very interesting here. I think, I think, I think. See, this is what I sound when I'm rolling and scrolling uh, my mouse down to find something good to play. Oh, here's a good message. Do you enjoy watching movies? Yes! Do you like to hear other people's opinions on movies? And do you find that you don't always have the time to listen to an entire podcast about one movie? Well, then you might enjoy my new podcast, Living for the Cinema. My reviews cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique, but in less than 15 minutes. Check out Living for the Cinema on all platforms where podcasts are available. (sighs) What a day! I just need some me time for once. Yes, perfect. I got the new bath bombs today. Peach and clove, here we come. Mim and the Anvil makes the best smelling herbal blends of bath bombs. You can order loose or ground herb, added buttermilk, large, even ones with hidden gifts inside. There are over 25 essential oil varieties. After today, my body definitely needs some spiritual nourishment. All right, Mim and the Ann will go to there for all kinds of wonderful things to make you feel good in the bath. And who else makes you happened. feel good? I don't know either, Jim. I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing, um, no um, no space lasers or anything going on out there, any kind of messages. Do you have a short, do you have a ham radio uh, operation in your garage <laughs> or anything? <that> could have... <laughs> I wish. Because <laughs> I think I, I would uh, expect all kinds of things from you. Let's get to talking about you. Um, okay. Now, I'm going to say, as a musician, I mean, I'm not a musician, uh-huh. but as a, as a musician and historian, um, I've got to 
think that those were things that only enhanced your skills as a storyteller and a writer? Um, I, I think you're probably right. I had um, I did I did a, a number of, of tunes. Oh golly, uh, late seventies, early eighties, maybe um, about um, the whaling business. And um, I did one about a a, a, a whaling seaman that was impressed onto a British man of war uh, during the War of eighteen twelve. And um, uh, his story is true. His name was John Trinis. And uh, as they went into, um, uh, oh, God, where was it, uh, Liverpool to refit, they came back in England and refit, uh, he took off. And they chased him down to London, and they, they uh, actually shot him dead in the street. Oh. Um, um, so it's, it's, it's just, the name of the, the tune is, uh, and, and actually the lyric is, is John Trinis. It's, it's very long, but uh, it's, it's, it's a true story. And I just felt the need to tell it because I don't think anybody ever had. Oh. Oh, wow. Now, where did you first learn about this story? Um, I, I, I heard about it from an old uh, – a, 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 a man named Boatson used to rent their front cabin from us when we had our house in, in Del Mar. We had a, a guest house in front of our house, and he was an old Navy guy. And um, he actually had been on the Bataan Death March. And he had told he had told uh, he sat us one down or me one night and told me the story of John Turnus and um, he had heard it from another old matey and he had heard it from someone else and the story had passed on generation to generation. I don't know how much of it was actually actually um, truthful, but I know it's a true story. So I, I just used it because you know, that's what writers do. We use stories that other people give us and and we say for all the world they're ours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let me ask you. you uh, most people know you. They know about your stories about the West, and and I even love on on your website, which jimchristina dot net. Um, you have pictures of modern Western heroes, Sam Elliott mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Conacher, uh Tom Selleck, Quigley, Steve McQueen. Oh, Steve McQueen. Uh, what do you think it is about the the Western man, the cowboy, the uh, frontiersman, the adventurer that makes such a romantic figure? Well, I, I, to be honest with you, I think it was the call of adventure for the men who actually lived it. Uh huh. Um, I think it was. Um, I think it was. A, well, it was a fact of life for them. I mean, the boys that drove the cattle up from. Texas to um, Kansas and some instances Montana were virtually just that. They were boys. Most of them were not over 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And a good deal of them died on the travel, on the trail drives uh, due to, uh, well, you know, stampedes were very, very rare. They, they were very, very rare. And and so were, was rustling the cattle because, you know, you have, you know, 20,000 head of cattle and you got 40 drovers. And there's, you know, one group of nine people isn't going to take that cattle, those cattle. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was, it wasn't that much, much rustling that went on, but it was just, I mean, getting bitten by snakes, uh, falling off a cliff, falling off your horse and hitting your head. You know, there's a lot of things that could happen to you on a cattle drive that, that people just don't think about. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you see movies of cattle drives, you see old guys. Well, there was no old guys in cattle drives. Maybe the cook. <laughs> you know. 
That's true. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Why? And, and why do I? Why do most of us never think that? Well, we don't see them on TV shows, of course, or movies, but yeah. Hmm. Well, John Wayne did that one movie, The Cowboys, and that was probably as close to the truth as anything. Hmm. Yeah. So when, all uh, the young men. So you were, I'm going to guess that as a kid, you were a follower of, of uh, Western books and movies? Oh, you think? <laughs> oh, yeah. You reckon? I mean, I, I, was, I, was, I was a huge, huge Roy Rogers fan, Lone Ranger. Uh, and I loved all the old Warner Brothers westerns that were on in the 50s, uh, Cheyenne and, and uh, you know, Bronco and, uh, you know, all those. They just, they just were, you know, Maverick. Oh, Maverick was one of my, well, Maverick was one of my favorites because the, the co-lead of Maverick, Jack Kelly, was our next-door neighbor. So, uh, it, oh. it, you know, it's easy to really like Maverick. But, yeah, um, yeah the, the, I just used to love all those old Warner Brothers westerns, and, and, you know, and the grittier, the better. Have good will travel. There you go. There's a good one. Oh yeah. <laughs> Read the card of a man. Oh. There you go. <laughs> what is it? A fast gun for hire in a savage land. He's a calling wind. Yeah. Yep. Right. Soldier of fortune is a man called Paladin. Oh. Uh, so what did you now? When did you first decide? Or feel like you had a book in you. You had a story. You had a book in you that was that was just about to be put to paper, about to be born. Oh golly, I was probably about in two thousand and I want to say two thousand seven, maybe two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. I had the story rolling around in my head for a long time. Um, I, I just finished reading a series of uh, Louis Lamour novels. Mm-hmm. And like and like everyone else, I mean, I I, I read Louis Lamour and I thought. Well, golly, I, you know, I'm a historian. I know better than this. I know these people didn't behave this way, and I know they didn't dress this way, and I, I know they didn't act this way, and I know they weren't always clean, and they never went to the bathroom, and, you know, they never took care of their animals, and they're always six feet and square-shouldered and narrow-hipped, and no, no, you know, people weren't like that. So I, I had this character rolling around in my head. He's a middle-aged manhunter in Arizona. The year was 1881. And he has spent a good part of his life hunting down people for other people. Uh, not bounty. He won't do bounty, but he does pay to find people. And I thought, wow, what a great storyline. And then I gave him a, a, a sidekick, Jolly Goodman, who was probably 74, 75 at the time. And he's uh, very overweight, uh, beard down to his belly, long hair, drinks like a fish, swears like a sailor. And um, he can't get on his horse without a rock <laughs> or stairs or something. <laughs> so, but, uh, and then the, the story's just built from there. <laughs> Did they, I, oh, and maybe this is because I, I'm not a writer. I write nonfiction. Just the stuff that, things that just happen around me that I think um, are just entertaining or strange or fun. But, I would imagine, though, I, I, you know, I read that some writers have trouble. They just create this or make that real and flesh out this character. But I feel like for you, you really can, and bear with me, like I said, I'm not a fiction writer, but I just get a feeling that, that you can actually 
see your characters that that you can know what they're wearing you know what their clothes feel like how dirty how worn they mm-hmm. are what their horse is like what their mm-hmm. their, their boots what they're eating um that comes just that just comes from being a historian and that was my focus when i was studying history um in college was the american expansion 1840 1890 um it took into all of that and i, I did a, a pretty conservative effort on on the, the southwestern cowboys because they they're the ones that were the most intriguing they're the ones you mostly see in movies and stuff and they wore i mean most of their clothing was cotton um and they loved color oh my god they loved color oh. the brighter the better and their shirts were brightly colored and their patterns and i mean uh, almost all of them uh, wore a vest because shirts didn't have pockets and, you know, uh, they would spend weeks um, without a bath. And if they did take a bath, it was in their clothes because they could wash their clothes at the same time. <laughs> so, true. Uh, you know. So, I mean, these guys, these guys were, they, they, you know, hygiene was something that was, uh, hygiene, how are you? <laughs> you know, it wasn't, <laughs> let's get clean. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you're saying then uh, the thing that is uh, two things that are false. Uh, that well, one of my two favorite cowboys, um, Adam Cartwright. <laughs> wow, well. he only had the black shirt and that vest or that same um, tan jacket. Right. Um, Every time, even Pernell Roberts said he was sick of having no costume changes, and uh, right. and so you're saying probably the scenes where they well, one where he and, and little Joe or no him and Hoss were in a bathhouse and he's taking a bath that was just for us ladies. Him oh, in a I'm bathtub. I'm certain that's probably it. Yeah, yeah, that was just a little something yeah. special for us. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, they, you know, when they got into town, they they <laughs> would go to the bathhouses, they, and they would get haircuts and. Other than a bowl cut that the that the the, the the cook would give them on the trail, they virtually would put a bowl on their head and cut around the bowl, and that would be their haircut. You know, and, I mean, everybody laughs at that, but that's how they used to cut their hair. And, and you know, and when they got into town, they got a proper haircut, and they trimmed their beards and their mustaches, and and they let their spurs drop down, so when they walked, they jingled on the on the boardwalk. Oh. So, <laughs> Yeah, and they would buy, and they would buy. I mean, you know, they would they would be made thirty dollars a, a month, um, and then whatever they well, and found meant they had room and board or you know food, and then um, there was usually a bonus at the end of the drive if they didn't lose a lot of candles. So a lot of these guys would walk away from a three month trail drive with maybe hundred, hundred twenty, hundred twenty five bucks. Well, mm-hmm. in eighteen seventies, that was a lot of money, but they uh-huh. could go through it the weekend. You know, oh, they'll totally go through it the weekend. <laughs> so, you know, horns weren't cheap. Those, with those dropped, uh, dropped spurs is a little bit of a mating call. or. <laughs> well, yeah, and, you know, and uh, and the sporting girls used to love them because they paid well. And, you know, and, and, and another thing I, I wrote about, and I wanted to be as truthful as I could, because I, I was in equestrian for a lot of years, and I know how to treat horses. And I know what 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 they used to do with horses, and they never galloped them hardly anywhere. Most everything was if they were going quickly, it was at a trot. Um, 
or mostly they just walked and they would carry um, a pack animal behind and be a, a horse or a mule um, if, it were, if they were going to be out for more than a day. Saddlebags just can't stuff that much stuff in. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. you when you see these movies where these guys have a saddlebag and a horse and they got coffee pot and frying pan and all those other stuff, no. Property probably gave them that. It, uh-huh. it, that did not fit in their saddlebags. So it, it was just like, you know, come on, guys, let's get it right. They would never <laughs> just get off their horses and walk away from them. They would always take care of their horses first. Without your horse, you're on foot. And in the middle of nowhere, that's the last place you want to be. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Let me ask you, when um, – what do – when you first began riding, and, and I'm sure because you, you know your genre well, you understand it as well as being, you know, a rider. Um, sure. What kind of responses and uh, did you get from readers? I'm not talking about, you know, uh, fancy reviews. I'm talking about from your readers. What kind of responses or reviews did you get from actual readers that let you know that I, I, you found your people? It, and they, they found like you. They, and they like, they like the grittiness and the reality of them and, and, and the dialogue of them. Uh, they, they like the storylines. And they like the characters more than anything. In fact, my sister-in-law absolutely just went ballistic on me when I killed off Jolly in the third or fourth book. <laughs> um, he, he just, I mean, in the story, he happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and got himself knifed. And, well, you know, it was, it was time for Jolly to go because he no longer had uh, anything germane to any of the storylines coming up. So, it, it would have been a waste of time to keep throwing Jolly in there. It would have just been, you know, for people who like Jolly, well, I like Jolly too, but it was time for Jolly to go. So, and my, my sister-in-law, you know, she, you killed off Jolly. I said, no, I didn't. The ghost did. She goes, yeah, but you wrote him. I said, well, he actually wrote himself, which was a lot, which was true for a lot of my stories. A lot of these bad guys that I wrote, I love writing bad, bad guys. Incidentally, if you're a writer and you're out there and you're listening and you're really struggling with bad guys, let your brain go and let them be as bad as you want because <laughs> it, it's just like everything you ever got to get to do that you never could really do in real life. <laughs> so, you know, but um, most of my characters, I, after about the third book, wrote, wrote their own storylines. Mm-hmm. They, you know, if I tried to put, like the hunter, tried to put him someplace that, you know, he no, normally wouldn't go. You know, in my mind, it was saying, no, I can't do that because that's, you know, no, he wouldn't do that. So, you know, you have to switch her up and you have to go someplace else. Mm-hmm. But um, my my readers, uh, they like they like my they love my stories actually, and and they they keep writing me. When is the next one coming out? When is the next one coming out? When, you know, well, I have one on the board right now. Oh, okay. So well, let's talk my about my latest one. Actually, was which one? Jefferson's Chance. That's what I was about oh to talk God, about. That That's book. exactly what I was about to talk about. I love that book. Let's that is a fabulous story. Jefferson's Chance is the story of a young man at 10 years old. He loses his right leg from the knee down to a rattlesnake bite. And the book opens with his mother and the doctor debating whether they're going to take the leg or not. 
and they finally decide, she finally acquiesces and says, well, if you don't take it, you're going to die. And he goes, almost assuredly. So he, she says, go ahead. And they take his leg, and she takes it outside and buries it in the front yard in a grave that she had dug for his leg. I, I, I just thought that was a great piece of business. Mm. And, um, and then he gets, a, he gets a wooden leg, and as he's growing up, he, his only dream is to be a, a Texas Ranger like his father. His father died two months before he was bitten. Um, and he just wanted to be a Texas Ranger. Well, they're not going to let him because he only has one leg. And at 23 years old, he, he hooks up with this engineer, the guy who engineered the bridge over um, the Brazos River in Waco. His name is Thomas Griffith. He was a real man. And the guy tells him he could design him a leg that will act just like a real leg. And he says, a couple of, a month or two, you're getting used to it, and nobody will ever know you have a fake leg. So he builds him this leg, or he doesn't, but the old smithy down the road does, uh, Mr. Kennedy. And um, he, Jefferson, starts practicing with it, and he becomes so proficient at it that he goes back to the, to the Texas Rangers office and jumps up on the, on the boardwalk and he runs in the office and he does this little dance. And he goes, hey, you told me when I grew a new leg I could be a ranger. And the captain just looks at him and says, okay. <laughs> it's your life. So he signs him in, he, he swears him into the rangers, and he sends him on a fool's errand. Well, the fool's errand turns him out not to be such a fool's errand. And in his travel, looking for these two guys that he sent after, um, he meets up with an ex-Texas ranger named Caleb Stringfield, and they both happen, they both happen to be searching for the same two guys. So they hook up, and the story just gets more and more and more involved after that. Um, suffice it to say, it takes into account the marauding Comanches that have broken the reservation and uh, captive children, and it just gets wild. But uh, I love that book. I love it. And, and you're not alone, as you as you well know, I'm sure. I was oh, read no. I, everybody that reads that book loves it. In fact, my wife came up with the title. Oh, did she? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and the title comes from the last part of the book, when Caleb, the old ranger, brings Jefferson back to town, um, and um, over a horse, he packed in salt, and um, Jefferson, obviously Jefferson gets killed, and um, and the old smithy um, sees Caleb and he goes, oh, Caleb, you know, they talk about old times, and he goes, who's over the horse, and he says Jefferson. And Jefferson Green, he says, oh, Jefferson. He says, oh, my gosh. He said, how we used to tease that boy, and all he ever wanted was a chance. Yes, sir, Jefferson's chance is what we used to call it. Oh, oh man. So, She's good. She was right that's on. How, that's how the book, that's how the title came on. Yeah, she was right on. And, uh, I've, I've the got... book is. Go ahead, hon. The one right before, which was Jonah Blue, about a uh, mountain man. And that's what you, that's used in a couple of colleges in L.A. Um, in their history classes uh, because of the, the research I did at the Mountain Men. Oh, good. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, so really I'm good. pretty happy with those two books. I bet. The other ones have pretty um, good sales, but those two. Mm-hmm. Those, I, I those was going to read Here, it's a review from uh, from a blog by Anthony Avena. I'm sure you know who that is. Um uh, I do. And part of his review, he says, um, 
Of course, he mentions in the first paragraph uh, of his review uh, the characters' interactions with one another and the author's writing really brought the setting to life beautifully and captured the essence and tone of the era. But then he goes on later and says, uh, the author really captured the raw and dangerous nature of the times in that era perfectly. It's like you were saying, you know, you don't, there weren't old cowboys because they were those were dangerous times, um, as well as the right. grueling nature of life on the frontier. However, what really stood out was the classic show of heroism from protagonist Jefferson and ex-ranger Caleb both of whom made their stand against unbelievable odds to save innocent children from a dangerous situation. The action and dialogue felt like watching a classic spaghetti western, making the entire novel feel very visual in its delivery. So it's like, and and you do tend to write in a cinematic style almost. Like you could feel like you could see it happening and unfolding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I like I like to do it that way because the the reader can follow the the, pro, the progress of the, of the story, um, you know, visually in their mind. Like you know, well, you know, I I have to read a book a week um, for my show, and and there are both some books I I, I I struggle to get through because there's no vision with them, yeah. uh, you know, and there's some books that you pick up, and I'm up until three or four in the morning reading them. So, you know, it just depends on the writer and it depends on how they, how they write. Um, a great writer can write a crappy book. I, there's no doubt. But, you know, and a crappy writer can write a great book. I don't know how it happens, but it does. So we deal with that every day at Tuscany Bay. So anyway. Tell, tell me some of your favorite authors. Do you have some favorite contemporary authors? I do. Um, John Sanford. Uh, Craig Johnson. Um, I would say uh, Tosca Lee is one of my favorites. Uh, she writes a really, really, really good romantic uh, mysteries. Um, I would say probably um, hmm, Richard Polinelli. He's my business partner, actually. Um, he writes really great science fiction, of which I'm not a science fiction fan. But mm-hmm. I love Richard's books. Uh, uh, Declan Finn. Um, also a contemporary science fiction writer, um, and I—I want to say you're Jennifer. Was yeah. She was. It was one of those books that I just couldn't stop reading. Jennifer Irwin. Oh my gosh. Uh-oh. Yes. Oh. Jennifer yes. Irwin. Yes. She is. And, and she's such a delight. Uh, she is such a delight, and you know, and and she's one of the writers that you know is going to capture your attention as soon as you pick up her book and go to chapter one, page one. Oh, and I know, you know, when people expect some kind of a hype from a publicist, whatever, but people quickly realize Jennifer Irwin, she is a strong writer. She is great with character and she's she even doesn't let you go. And she's also and and she's also and and you know enough writers and you as a writer know you can always tell the difference. She honestly and I've known her long enough and travel and and worked with her long enough to know that she honestly cares about each and every reader and what they say and what they get out of her book. She's a, she's a total class act. But yeah, she's a strong yep. writer. And I think we're going to see a whole lot more coming from her soon. Well, I certainly hope so. I, you know, and I, I listed John Sanford in that, um, in that list only because John Sanford was on our show. Um, and, 
he graciously uh, allowed himself to be interviewed by a bunch of idiots in, in, <laughs> in a, a, a semi-chaotic you know, se- <laughs> setting, and he loved every minute of it. He had a great time with us, and we, and we with him. Um, a wonderful, wonderful man and a, and a great writer. And, I mean, he's up to like 32 prayer books now. The guy is prolific. Um, wow. And his characters and his dialogue and everything else is just phenomenal. Um, so I just, I just love reading reading him and and of course Craig Johnson is uh, Longmire. So is, is what? you ever watched the Longmire show? Yeah. Right? No, I'm just yeah, I'm just Craig trying. Johnson I... is the creator of Walt Longmire and and um, he's oh, he's up okay. to like 15 or 20 books of Longmire now. Wow. So and he's well, a great. He's been on my show like four times. He loves coming on our show because we give him well, a hard time. <laughs> and and it obviously bothers him because he, he loves to come back, right? Let, let me ask you this: yep. two more things I want to bring up now that we've kind of mentioned them. Um, is before before I run out of time with you, I want to talk about since you've mentioned your radio show on LA Talk Radio and Tuscany uh-huh. Bay Books. So which one do you want to start with? Okay, you you pick it. Okay, let's talk about LA Talk Radio and the writers. Okay. Book. Okay. Um, we have been on the air almost seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, in the seven years, we started out with like 150 initial listeners, our first show. And our last show um, w- with uh, live listeners and podcast listeners, we're up over 600,000. Mm. Um, people, uh, the writers just, they, they scramble to get on our show because they have they get really good you know, the, uh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I, my brain just cleared out. <laughs> anyway, very well showcased in our program. And, mm-hmm. and that's because we, we don't have a format. It's just wide open. It's like controlled chaos. It's a lively show, you know, and so, you feel the energy. Yeah, yeah, and we do. We, we, we don't try to do that. It's just the people that are on it. You know, have it's a, their energy that makes that show popular and fun to do, and I don't see it going away anytime soon. Uh, Sam loves us. Uh, LA Talk Radio virtually is one of our sponsors, one of our major sponsors. Um, so we we call it uh, LA Talk Radio's very own writers' block, and um, it's it's uh, we're just keep going. We you know we're booked up through this year, and so hopefully when- halfway through next year. When did you decide to start a radio show, though? And well, why? my co-host, one of my co-hosts, Bobby Jean Bell, uh, uh-huh. I was on her radio show. Uh, every time I wrote a new book, she would bring me on her show um, because she loves westerns and she loves the way I write. And she says my books are real salty. Well, they are, <laughs> but they're more true to life than Zane Gray or you know Louis Lamar. Yeah. My tagline is, if you're looking for Louis Lamore, you're not going to find him here. Um, you know, Louis Lamore never said the F word, or, or if he did, he did pride in the closet. But, um, you know, guys guys back in the West used that word. And But anyway, Bobby Jean loved having her on the show. And then her show got canceled on uh, in, uh, on Santa Clarita Valley, California. And I went to her one day and I said, hey, you know what? I said, we know enough writers. Let's get a, a show just on writing, just on writing, on process, on storytelling, on dialogue, on, on everything we can think to ask a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we put together the show. Uh, it took us about four months. 
And our, our first show premiered, I think, May 15th of 2015. And uh, it's been every week since. And we love doing that show. We love it. And thank goodness for Bobby Jean, yeah. too. Uh, yeah, she, yeah. And she, then uh, we had her this week. Mm-hmm. Well, as soon as Tuskegee Bay came into into um, business, Black Dog was already in business. Tuskegee Bay and Black Dog joined, um, and it became Black Dog Publishing with our imprint of Tuskegee Bay Books. Um, and so Richard joined the show as uh, the third co-host. And um, our third our third co-host initially was Russ Addison. He's not a fourth co-host. He's on the third Thursday of the month. And Russ is not a writer. He's a dog trainer, but he's great at asking the, the right questions. So, and he's a real good sense of humor. So, we have a good time. And it's so it's 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 a family, and you know we we do it uh, we do it every week, and we love it. And we do it on Skype actually. Oh yeah. So we look at we're looking at each other. Bobby Jean's now in Albuquerque. Richard's in Fruita, Colorado. I'm in Star, Idaho, and Russ is in uh, Fillmore, California. <laughs> but it used Isn't to be it? fun when we were all in the studio in L.A. That was the oh. Fun. oh, I, I can fun. well imagine. I can try to imagine that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was it was an insane time. Um, yeah, we had guest hosts coming in and people popping in and. It was just like insane, and and this porn actress was had the studio right next to ours, and they used to be in there, and you could hear them just. We go, oh my god, just shut up, Amber. Her name was Amber Lynn, and she was just a real pain in the butt. But, but I mean, we've done, uh, you know, we've we've done. Oh, I don't know. Bobby Jean can tell you exactly how many shows we've done. I don't know. I don't keep track. I just know I log on every week and we go to work. So yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, you have know, my little it? glass of bourbon with me and a bottle of water and <laughs> good rock. I can see that rock. I can do a show without bourbon. I don't know. Oh. I don't know. So let me ask you this too, and I know this is backtracking, but uh, the first book of yours I got was Bugles in the Sun. And I know that, I'm well, not the only. That's not my first book, but that was the first book that maybe you got. Yeah, that's the first book I got of yours. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I okay. got halfway through it, and my brother took it, so I haven't finished it yet. So don't tell me how it ends. Well, do you know how it ends? <laughs> it, it's the Seventh Cavalry, and it's in June of 1876. How else can it end? Yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't end with the battle. I'll tell you that. You're breaking. Okay, I don't want. It does I'm, not I'm, end with it. Go yeah, ahead. it does not end with the battle. But I wrote. I wanted to give the perspective of the troopers, which is why I wrote that book. Mm-hmm. About the the fear that they were feeling as they followed this Indian trail that was two and three miles wide, and they knew they were in for it. Hmm. So, yeah, Bugles in the Sun was, uh, it's a short book, but I really like it. I, I, it's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody in that book is real, except for John Connolly, the guy who writes the diary. Now, He's the only fictional character in the book. Now, how did you come, now, how, did, how, did, how long did it take you? It's, these are not fictional characters except for one. 
How did you? How long did it take you to do the research, and how did you do it? Well, I did the research. You know, the best way in the world to do research these days is on Google. Um, but I also wrote, uh, read uh, one, about six books, two reference volumes. Um, I had to get I had to get the maneuvers right. I had to get where they were on a certain date right, um, because there are students of the Little Bighorn that will call you out in a nanosecond if you're wrong. <laughs> um, I had to make sure the terrain was correct, um, and I had to make sure that everything everything was was correct, especially the chapter where we're ta- talking about their their gear and their uniforms and and what they you know the 24 bugle calls the day they had to suffer through. Believe me, it was suffering through it because you know you just get one done with one, and you got another one. And they even had latrine call. I mean, you know, you're supposed to hold it until they have you have your latrine call. I guess I don't know, <laughs> but um, they had uh, everything. Everything was you know gauged by a bugle. Everything was done by bugle calls. So and and each each troop, or cavalry or company as they called them then, um, had uh, four buglers, and a lot of people didn't know that. So, you know, if one fell, the other one could bugle, and then they went down the line. And they had to highly polish their bugles, which is why it's called bugles in the sun. Their bugles had to be highly polished every day, and they had to clean and and, uh, keep keep their gear up every single day, every day. Tell me about – It was interesting. Do you know their fighting song, Gary Owen? Oh, Absolutely. That's an old Irish you, drinking song. Yeah, well, you sing a little to us. I I don't know the lyrics to it, <sighs> but the tune is. Oh yeah. Oh Okay, and we'll uh, we'll we'll work on that ahead of time next time. Uh, it used to be done by the regimental band, and then as they were leaving Fort Lincoln, they always played the girl I left behind me. Oh, and they left a lot of a lot of family. And they left a lot of them behind. Yeah, they did. Yeah, so sad. Uh, but that was that was a hard life, you know. But uh, let me it ask was. you this. Tell me about, did, did you start Tuscany Bay Books? Are you the no, originator I started, of it? I started Blackout Publishing. Okay. Richard, and, Richard started Tuscany Bay Books. Um, okay. And, and, and the, the merger came during a margarita-infested, um, margarita nacho-eating <laughs> um, lunch at this restaurant uh, in in Simi Valley, California. <laughs> and we um we decided that, you know, both of us loved writing and both of us, you know, we both had imprints. Um, his was much better than Black Dog. And I thought, look, I said, I've got the business license. I've got this, this, this. Why don't you incorporate Tuscany Bay and with Black Dog? We'll call Black Dog Publishing slash Tuscany Bay Books, which would be the imprint. And we'll do that. And he goes, oh, works for me. So that's how that came to be. <laughs> and then a friend of mine, I paid a hundred bucks, and he designed us a logo. And um, from there, history. It was like seven years ago, I think. 
All right. And uh, let's see if I look on there. You've got uh, how many authors represented under Tuscany Bay, Black Dog? Ah, very good question. Uh, Right now, I want to say – I I have to count them in my brain because my computer is not on. Let me see. Twelve right now. All right, I see. Fifteen, fourteen. If we get when and if these other two authors get off their butt and finish, send me back uh, the (laughs) complete corrected manuscripts. <laughs> and I see, yeah, you cover everything from children's, mystery thrillers, nonfiction, sci fi, fantasy, planetary anthology series, westerns. Uh, right. Good group. Looks like everything but romance yeah, and young adults. Eclectic group. One thing we don't do is fantasy, pure fantasy. Um, we don't do um, romance, we try not to do romance books. Um, mostly because I think we had one one length of time on the writer's block for like six weeks or seven weeks, or every book was a romance novel. And <laughs> by the seventh week, Jen, I was ready to, to, to slit my throat. I I, I just I, I couldn't read another romance book. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say this, but. Yeah, I can't take it because everything seems always seems to have the same, the exact same formula and plot. It drives me out of my rabbit ass well, mind. Do. It's like if I can predict the it, formula books. Yeah, formula yeah. books. I, I think I think know. these writers buy the formula and then you just fill in the blanks. <laughs> I believe they're almost all alike. You know, so I I, I just got to to the point where I, I you know I'm going to read this last one and that's it and I'm not going to go another one. So you know, we forewarned the bookie. Mm-hmm. So, we haven't had a romance book on for a long time. So. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but we do, uh, we do children. We do young adults. Uh, we just signed a new Western author, James Webb. His book is pretty good. Um, he had to rewrite almost the entire book. He, he is his first, first time writing a book, first time writing anything. And he made a lot of, a lot of first writer errors in which we, mm-hmm. um, I, I try to guide him through the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he wrote with he's a bad case of PTSD. Um, so we, we I tried to be as gentle as I could with him. Uh, being a Vietnam veteran, I understand PTSD. PTSD. Mm-hmm. And um, I tried to guide him through the process without hurting his feelings. Um, but uh, I rewrote a lot of his dialogue only because, uh, like I told him, I said, "Match your dialogue to your character." A British. A sheriff or a marshal in this in a town in the west isn't going to say y'all. It's not his vocabulary. <laughs> so. You know. So. Listen, I really like that part. Let me tell you, there was a. Um, I know this sounds off off topic, but it fits in with that about what a character would and wouldn't say, which you've also mentioned in something else earlier. But um, I remember there was a television movie, I don't know how many years back, about um, Mark David Chapman who murdered John Lennon. Right. And I forget the name of the actor, but he was reading the, the lyrics to Imagine. And I listened to that and I thought, okay, 
I didn't know Mark David Chapman, but the rest of my family did know him and his family because we grew up in the same neighborhood. And he and my brother were in the okay. same scout troop. And I said, I can tell you right now, David Chapman grew up in the same hood. He did not speak like this actor who made him sound like a riverboat gambler. He would not have lived long enough to kill anybody, okay? <laughs> he was Imagine there's no heaven. That's easy for you, mother. And he was talking. I thought, oh, no, no. They didn't talk that way where I grew up. No, he would not have lived that yeah, long. Yeah, that yeah. was a mean neighborhood. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, to to give writers credit for dialogue, because um, we really, when we read a book and there's a lot of dialogue in it, we really study the dialogue. And, and you know, there's, there's, a, there's a trick. And not a trick so much as just a really, really, really good, you know, observation of, of writers that can write dialogue and put like an Irish accent in without actually putting the Irish accent in. So when you read it out loud, it comes out with an Irish accent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you can write it right into the dialogue, well, you don't need to throw in an extra extra accent because then it sounds like it's it's like – on purpose, you're doing that, and you don't want that to sound like that. Mm-mm. In your mind, you want it to sound natural. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. anyway, that's why. That's why. That's one thing I told James, and I said, you know, make it sound as natural as you can. Well, we we cleared the book up as best we could. We wrote it as best we could. It's out. It's it's, it's got okay sales. It's not great, but it's his first book. So, we'll see. Yeah. But, how, but I'm so glad that, that you saw it and took the time. And as someone, like you said, who's also been a servant, who also understands PTSD, you know, you knew to take the book, the story, the essence, had had substance. And uh, right. thank goodness it was you that it was submitted to so we could uh, work out and well, give yeah, us. Yeah, because he had been turned down by several publishers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway. Well, good. That it was where it was supposed to be. Listen, well, you have just been—you <laughs> have been such an absolute delight, Jim, Christina, and I am so thrilled. You know, I'm always going to think of you at Out West, not just because of your books, but the last. But when we talked on the phone recently, um, I was on my way back from Wild Wild Westcon in Tucson. Yes, you were. And uh, and so when you talk about uh, something, a uh, margarita fueled. Um, meeting or meeting of the minds or whatever and that's a big right. part of uh, Wild Wild West Con as well um, which you may not think of as steampunk but heck I think you've got the imagination you can hopefully you'll come out there sometime yes. to Wild West one I think you'd days. have a good time one of yeah. days. I think that uh, you would be so. I know you'd be quite popular there but you have such a delight well, and I want to there's a lot say, of the writers that I already know so oh yeah okay you know Thank you so much for being so generous with your time here on the show, but also so generous with your story so that all of us can read them, all of your fans, all your audience, and with your show. And i got to give some shout-out love to Bobby Jean, too, even though we have not met uh, yet anyway. i got a lot of respect for you, Bobby Jean. (laughs) You're a star. I'll let her know you said that. All right, and uh, thank you. And, you know, I think the only thing that uh, I can do to close after having you on the show, 
the only thing I can do is close out with a song by uh, singer Dane Lewis, and the song is Whiskey Wears Off. He's like, well, we still love each other once the whiskey wears off. How's that? (laughs) That works. Folks, take care. Uh, Jim, Christina, I will share. I already have, but I will again. I will share links to his social media, to find his book, to find his radio show, everything I can to help you find everything in this man's work on all of my social media, not just Madam Perry's salon, but also on my personal for Jennifer Perry so that you can find him. And I think this has been a delight. I do hope you'll come back sometime. Oh, why don't you just come home somewhere in the There we go. Well, Okay. Good night, Jennifer.